We're in Mark chapter 12 today, Mark chapter 12, and uh, we'll begin reading together in verse 28. So if you'll follow along with me, Mark 12, verse 28, I'll read this aloud. One of the scribes came, and having heard them reasoning together and perceiving that he had answered them well, asked him, which is the first commandment of all? And Jesus answered him, the first of all the commandments is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one God. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. The second is like, namely this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said unto him, Well, master, thou hast said the truth. For there is one God, and there is none other but he. And to love him with all the the heart, and with all the understanding, and with all the soul, and with all the strength, and to love his neighbor as himself is more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered discreetly, he said unto him, Thou art not far from the kingdom of God. And no man after that durst ask him any questions. Lord, bless the reading of his word. Let's uh, look to the Lord in prayer as we get started. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the power of your word. We thank you that it is trustworthy. Father, we thank you that we know the very words of Christ. Father, we're thankful that we can take your truth and apply it to life. Father, we thank you for the example of our Savior. as one who was unafraid of man's thoughts, who was brave and courageous in the face of even those who desired to kill him. Father, who was unwavering in the truth and yet spoke it in love. Father, help us to be more like Christ today. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, it's uh, sometimes fun to have a little bit of fun and ask some questions and uh, maybe do a, a little joke or a riddle or something like that. Um, let me give you a, a question. Let's see if you can handle this riddle. What are two things that you can never eat for breakfast? What are two things that you can never eat for breakfast? Anybody have an idea? Call it out if you have it. Lunch and dinner. Very good. Very good. That's impressive. You, you guys were, were really on it there. And uh, uh, Anybody have a good one that you'd like to share? Anybody have a good riddle that, that you like? I, I ought to have plenty. You know, I was just with my father-in-law, and uh, there are always constantly these little riddles and jokes that come up along the way. But, uh... Okay, say that again, Mr. Fuller. What's the only man-made thing in heaven? I don't know. I don't know. Anybody have a guess? Oh, Okay, the scars on Jesus. I, Anya had that too. She pointed to her hand. The, that's, that's good. That's good. You know, we, we have these riddles, things like this, and I don't know if you do that in your family and kind of have a little fun with, with things like that. And uh, we enjoy it. Um, but, you know, in the passage we just read today, that's not what the Jews are doing to Jesus. Uh, they, they ask him a question. They give, pose to him somewhat of a, of, a, of a riddle. But the intention is not for fun. It's not just for enjoyment. Uh, it's, it's not even to um, ask the question in terms of trying to get the right answer. Um, they are, are trying to make him look foolish in front of other people. And uh, that, that is exactly what's going on. Let's uh, just kind of review a little bit. We've been away for a little while, but it's Passion Week. 
Jesus is preparing for the cross. This is the last week of his life walking the earth. And uh, he has already entered, entered the temple. He walked into the temple in Jerusalem. And his response was he condemned the temple. Remember, he chased out the money changers. And uh, he, he said that, that temple is like a fig tree with all these leaves on it, but there's no fruit. It's all show and there's no substance. And uh, the Jews are, are angry at this time. They're, they're not happy at all because uh, that's, that's the center of their worship. And in fact, for the Sanhedrin, that's part of their enrichment as well, right? That's their power and uh, uh, they're, they're angry. That Sanhedrin, that's the ruling Jewish body at the time. And so they're not happy with Jesus and they, they want to discredit him. And so there were three different groups that came up to Jesus. The first group we looked at were the Pharisees, and we called that, we called that round one. And they approached Jesus on the issue of taxes. And uh, if you remember, they asked him the question, and it was basically, do we have to pay taxes to Caesar? And uh, obviously, if, if he said no, the Romans would be mad. If he said yes, everybody who had to pay taxes, who, who was a, a Jew, would, would be upset because... Uh, they didn't like giving money to their Roman occupiers, right? That was kind of the idea. And so they, they wanted to give him a question that would, whatever the answer was, it was the wrong answer. And uh, Jesus saw right through that, right? He held up the coin. He said, whose head's on it? And they said, Caesar. And he said, well, give it to him. It's his, All right? And so um, uh, he, he left them astonished and, and amazed at, at his wonderful response. So round two is next. Now it's not the Pharisees, it's the Sadducees, the second group that was a part of the Sanhedrin, and they ask him a question about the resurrection. And uh, if you remember, it, it kind of seemed like a silly question. Uh, the, the idea had to do with, well, going back to the, the Jewish law, if, if, a, if, a, if a man died and he had a brother who was unmarried, that brother was to take his wife as his own, and the question was, well, and if that happened again, and the next brother died, and the next brother died, and the next brother died. So the wife had been married to seven different brothers along the way uh, as part of fulfilling that commitment. What would happen in heaven? Who's she going to be married to? And uh, they, they did this because the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe in the bodily resurrection. And so they were trying to make Jesus look foolish by saying, look, how could that ever happen in, in heaven? Whose husband would she actually be? And Jesus' response once again stumped them, and he said, that's not the way marriage works in heaven. There is not this giving of marriage in heaven. It's entirely different. Things work differently up there, and you don't understand. And if you'd read the Bible, you'd know it, right? And so he puts it right back on them. And so the goal in both cases was very simple. They want to make him look like a fool in front of a bunch of people. And, and they do it for a very simple reason. They hate him, and they want to kill him. And so now we're up to round three. And this is where the scribes come in. And, and they're going to ask him a question that relates to biblical interpretation. Let's make it clear that, that he does not know the Bible. So verse 28 uh, gives us the, the scene here. One of the scribes came. He comes up. He heard them reasoning together. And he perceived that he had answered them well. So he, he saw round one, he saw round two, and uh, now he has a question. He asked him, which is the first commandment of all? And so uh, let's go back, let's consider who these scribes are for a minute. The scribes are kind of like attorneys today. Okay, and so if you think of attorneys, attorneys are people who study the law 
And uh, if they're your attorney, hopefully they're good at it, right? <laughs> that's, that's what you want. Uh, the scribes were people who studied the Old Testament law. And um, they spent their lifetime just studying and focusing on that Old Testament law. And uh, they were considered to be very good at it, right? They knew the law very well. In fact, they went and made a list of all the commandments in the Pentateuch. The Pentateuch is the first five books of the Old Testament. And uh, they, they listed all of the commandments that God gave in the first five books. And they came up with a number, 613 individual commandments in the first five books of the Old Testament. 248 of them were positive commands, things that you should do, thou shalt. 365 were negative commands, thou shalt not. And so out of all of those 613 commandments that they had created a list of, they would get together and have this discussion about which commandment is the greatest. Now, we use the term greatest, and a lot of times we think of, uh, well, which one's the best, right? Well, that, that's not exactly what they meant here. The, the idea was, wasn't, you know, which commandment do you, can you follow and the other ones you can kind of ignore. It, it's actually kind of the opposite. Which commandment is the source that all the other ones flow out of, right? That's the idea. So, so which, which commandment is the foundation on which all of the other commandments are set. And so they, they would have this debate among the scribes. They would get together and, and you know, as they're sitting in their, their uh, scribe uh, symposium, their lawyerly symposium, having discussions and debates about which is the greatest commandment. And so, so his, his idea here was, okay, well, I'm going to ask Jesus this question. We've been debating it all this time. And uh, we're going to stump him on this one and, and make it clear that he doesn't really know what he's talking about in front of all these people. And, uh, you know, we haven't been able to agree, so certainly he's not going to be able to come up with the answer. And he'll stumble and we'll see his weakness in front of all these people. He's not sincere. Okay, some people come to this passage and they say, well, this scribe must be sincere because Jesus said something that was kind of nice about him at the end. Right? He's not sincere. And, and we know that. Matthew makes it very clear. Matthew 20, 22, verses 35 and 36, same account, same scribe, says, then one of them, which was a lawyer, asked him a question, what? Tempting him and saying, Master, which is the greatest commandment in the law? What's his goal? He is trying to test Jesus. He's trying to stump him. That, that's what's going on here. And, and if you think that Jesus, boy, he, he must have been okay with this scribe. It's only a few verses later here in, in Mark 12, verses 38 through 40, where Jesus says, uh, He said unto them in his doctrine, Beware the scribes, which love to go in long clothing and love salutations in the marketplaces and the chief seats in the synagogues and the uppermost rooms at feasts. What, what's he saying? Be careful for these people. Right? Jesus is not looking highly upon the scribes here. Rather, it's just the opposite. Okay, so, so this scribe comes, he asks Jesus the question, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus gives his answer, verse 29. Jesus answered him, the first of all commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Now, wait a minute, that wasn't a commandment. Okay, well, he's not finished yet, but he's laying a foundation. He, before he actually gives the commandment, he wants to lay the foundation. And so he, he starts with what is called the, the Shema. And uh, this is a word that actually means here. And you see it right at the beginning. It's a quote, direct quote from Deuteronomy 6.4. And this was a passage that's very important to Jews. They, in fact, quoted the, the Shema every morning and every evening, every day. And so this would have been well known, but he is setting up very clearly that who is the Lord, who is God, 
Uh, it is our God, the one God, the one Lord. And this would have been very important in a Roman society where folks are polytheistic. Right? He, he would have been saying to the Jews, look, you didn't get God wrong. <laughs> right? God the Father is the Father. Uh, and, and, and you are right in the midst of this. But he transitions then to verse 5 of Deuteronomy 6.4. And that's what we see here in verse 30. The beginning of that it says, And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart. And that's the commandment, right? That's the commandment. What's the greatest commandment? We must love Yahweh, right? That, that word there, Yahweh, that's the personal name of God. Uh, when, when you see it in your Bible, oftentimes Bibles will designate that with putting the word Lord there in, in all caps. And so you know specifically. And, and so, um, so he is referring to the personal name of God. You, you know God. What's the commandment? Love God. Right? That's what you're to do. When we hear that word love today, we, we often think about things love differently than what they would have, have thought about love in Jesus' time. You know, love today has, has kind of become this uh, view of like high school dating romance. You know, you give the flowers, you give the chocolates, and uh, you say you love the girl, and uh, then maybe she returns it, maybe not. You know, if not, you just pick the next one, and then you go on to love her, and, uh, and, and maybe, you know, maybe she returns it, and then you start dating, and you love each other until you break up, and then it's the next one, and, you know, we, we've just transitioned that to marriage now, these days, you know, I, you, you fall in love with somebody, and how long does it last? Well, until you fall out of love with them, and then you fall in love with the next person. And that's kind of how love is treated in our society as a whole. It's, 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 we, I heard somebody use the term, and I think it fits. It's become almost just sentimental infatuation. Right? That, that's what love has become. And that's the way that the word love is often used today in our society. When Jesus is using this word, though, it, it is not just sentimental infatuation. This is the word agape, and, and this is a love that gives. But in, in the, the important part here is it is a love that is primarily volitional. In other words, it is a thinking type of love. Uh, not primarily emotional, and that doesn't mean that there's no affection or no emotion, but rather that it begins with a thought and a decision. There is a choice involved. And so rather than being something that you fall into and fall out of, it's a promise and a commitment. And so when we, when we use it in this context, when we're talking about loving God, loving Yahweh, we, we are saying that there is a choice and a commitment on our part that, that we are going to love him. And so it's not based primarily on emotion. It's not like, well, I love God today, and now I don't feel so good about him. That, that's not how this works. And so when, when Jesus says, first and foremost, there is a, a decision, a thought process, I will love God. Now, that doesn't mean we don't feel any emotions toward God. We, certainly, from that decision, there are a lot of emotions involved. Right? It is not unusual to see people cry out of their love for God. Right? It doesn't take that away. It doesn't diminish that. But rather, it says that, that our love for God is based on a, a commitment, a decision, a promise, and not simply a feeling that often changes. So what does it look like to love the Lord today? Well, we, we could just simply equate this. It means to be a Christian. That's what loving God means today. It means to be a Christian. And uh, I have a few verses here. If you follow along, you may want to write some of these references down. But John eight forty two says, Jesus said unto them, 
If God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God. Neither came I of myself, but he sent me. You want to know Jesus? You want to have a relationship with him? It starts by the love of God. Right? You, if, if you know who Jesus is, you love him. Romans 8, 28 puts it this way, and it's a verse we, we all hear regularly. We know that all things work together for good. Who? To them that love God. To them that are the called according to his purpose. Who are the ones who love God? Those are believers. Those are Christians. And so all things work together for, for good for, for believers. That, that's what that verse is saying. Those who love God. You, you want to know what a believer is? It's somebody who loves God. It's somebody who loves the Lord. 1 Corinthians 8 verse 3 puts it this way, But if any man love God, the same is known of him. If I know God, if I love God, you know what that means? God knows me. Just that simple. I know God, he knows me. I love God, he knows me. That's how it works. And so, how does it start? How do we do this? How do we fulfill this commandment? How do we love God? Well, we become believers. We know him. It means being a Christian. And so, if you are a believer today, if you put your trust in Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for your sins, then you love God. That's what this commandment is all about. But you know, Jesus doesn't just stop there. He goes on in verse 30, and, and in verse 30, the word all actually appears four different times. Verse 30 goes on, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart. And then here comes the, the other descriptions. First is all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. So what is that? Well, that's all. That's totally. That's completely. That's entirely. Every part of our being, we should love God. So what's the greatest commandment? We become Christians. That's what it is. That's what it means. But secondly with that, we give God first place in our lives. Right? We won't let anything at all take his place. If I'm a believer, then part of fulfilling this commandment of God Part of loving him means that I take steps and I'm intentional in, in not allowing anything else to take first place. It just belongs to God. And, and that doesn't mean it's wrong to love other people. Right? If you're married, you should love your spouse. Right? I love my wife. If you have kids, you should love your kids. I love my son. Right? If you have extended family, you should love most of them too. Right? <laughs> you should love them as well. Right? And, and, and so you should, you should love your extended family. And, and, and that doesn't mean that, that we don't love God. Right? It, it just means that we don't love them over and above God. He gets first place. And, and regardless of the thing, regardless of the item, we don't allow that thing to supplant God in our lives. He is, he is always first. And so, you know, you, you have a, a family member, somebody, love you, somebody you care for, and they try to encourage you to do something that doesn't please God. He say, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to follow you there. I, I love you, but I love God more. And, and in fact, I love you so much, I'd encourage you not to do it. What is that? We, we have no other God before our God. He is the only one. 
And that goes back right to that context, right, that, that there is only one God. Uh, there, there is nobody else who gets top spot. Going back to the very thing that, that the Jewish people would have, have recited every day. What was the temple? Well, that was the place where you met with God, where you worshipped him. And what had happened? They had filled it up with money changers and ways of, of making money. They had supplanted the reason for the temple with all of these other gods that have become more important in their life. John 2, verses 15 and 16 says, When he had made a scourge of small cords, he drove them all out of the temple, the sheep, the oxen, and poured out the, money, the, the changers' money and overthrew the tables, and said unto them that sold doves, Take these things hence, make not my father's house a house of merchandise. What did Jesus do? He said, you have taken all these other things and said they're more important than God. You have desecrated his name. And in the very place on all the earth where he is supposed to be first, above all, you have taken him and, and, and made your own wealth and your own greed more important. You know, there are things that we enjoy today and things that we should enjoy today, but we don't let them take God's place. And that doesn't matter whether that is uh, working to accumulate wealth. And uh, certainly there is nothing wrong with making money. Right? There is nothing wrong with earning an income and working and, and providing for your family and saving for retirement. That is appropriate. Right? But we don't allow those things to take God's place. So let's um, take this back and consider... Uh, you, you know, in the context, there are four different alls that were mentioned there. Some people make a big deal out of this. They try to break these down into the, the four different parts and divide people up into four different parts. I, I think it's better just to understand this as entirely, right? We, we love God with our entire being. And um, we, we don't have anything there to suggest that those are, are broken down anymore. So that's the first commandment. Let's move on to the second now, verse 31. Jesus doesn't stop with just one. He only asked for the greatest but Jesus said, we're not stopping there. Verse 31, the second is like it, namely this. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. So this is the second commandment. And there is kind of a presupposition here. And uh, the question is, what, what is the, the presupposition? Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Well, let me give you an example. We were in the airport up in Chicago, and um, we were a little bit hungry. Uh, I was sitting down with Daniel and the luggage, and uh, we were in this kind of food court area. And uh, trying to eat before our flight. And uh, Anya was going to go up and, and, and order the food while I'm sitting there. And, I, you know, she, she said to me, well, what do you want? And I said, well, just, just go ahead and you can get, you know, whatever you like. That would be fine. And um, there's a certain presupposition there. And uh, that is that there is something that she actually likes up there. Right? Because if she had come back and said, you know, I didn't see anything I liked, so I guess we'll just be hungry, I would have been very disappointed. Right? And, and, I, and I think she understood that. Right? She didn't come back and say, well, you're just going to have to go hungry. Right? I, I would have been too happy with that. And thankfully, she returned with a deep dish pizza, and uh, it was wonderful. I, I mean, I was glad that she liked that. I, I really was. But, but you, know, say, you know, get whatever you like presupposes that there is actually some food up there that she likes. Right? That, that is the idea. Well, what is Jesus presupposing in verse 31? And uh, it is, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. And the, the presupposition is that everyone loves themselves. 
Right? That, that is actually the presupposition. There, there are people teaching today in terms of dealing with problems. Well, you, you, how do I deal with this problem? How do I, well, you just need to love yourself more. Right? Jesus is saying, everybody already has that one down. Right? We, we've got that part down. Um, you, you know, the, the problem isn't that, that we don't love ourselves. That's never existed. People love themselves. You say, well, what about when I'm feeling down or I'm really displeased or something I've done or a decision I've made? Yeah, I understand that, right? But remember, that's, that's not what we're talking about here. We are not talking about the emotional feeling when we're talking about love. We're talking about the actual, uh, the, the actual reality and the commitment, and your commitment to yourself hasn't changed. How do we know that? Well, you just start getting thirsty. And uh, if you start getting thirsty, I am pretty convinced that you know what to do next. You go and get something to drink. You go and get some water. Um, no one has ever had to come to me when I was thirsty and say, oh, you know, I have a solution to that. You need to go and, and drink some water, and that will take care of... I, I didn't need any help in that. I knew how to take care of the problem, right? Why? Because, because I love myself, and thirst is not a state I want to leave my body in, right? I, I want to go and get something to drink. Nobody says, well, well, no, no, I don't want anything. I just really want to keep feeling really, really thirsty today. I think that would be wonderful. Nobody says that. Why? Be, be, because we love ourselves. We go and get something to drink. If I'm thirsty, I get water. You know, the, the easy part of this is the loving ourselves part. It's, it's what we do every day. We get up and we brush our hair and we take a shower and we brush our teeth, hopefully, and all of those things, right? We, we take care of ourselves. And, and, and that, is, that is our desire because we, we are, you know, we could say it's the easy part. But you know what the hard part is? When my wife is thirsty and I'm sitting there on my butt on the couch and enjoying where I'm sitting and I'm totally relaxed and she wants something to drink. And I got to get up from the couch at my comfortable spot and I got to walk, you know, that 20 feet to the kitchen and get a glass and put some ice in it and put some water in it and walk all the way back and get it to... Boy, what a sacrifice. Can you imagine? That's the hard part. If I was thirsty and had to go get the drink, that's not a problem. Right? It's the loving the other people part. That's the challenge. And that's what Jesus is teaching here. He's not saying, oh, well, you just need to drink more water. He's not saying, oh, you need to love yourself more. He's saying, no, the way that you love yourself, you need to do that for other people. That's the hard part. And so the focus here is not love yourself more. It's love your neighbor more. Love your neighbor like yourself. First John, in chapter 4, gives kind of a, a, a description of, of the same kind of thing where a believer is expected to love their neighbor. First John 4, verse 20 and 21, read it for you. It says, if a man say, I love God. And let's pause there. What is that? That's the first commandment that Jesus gave. And hateth his brother. What is that? Well, that's a violation of the second commandment that Jesus just gave. He is a liar. What does that mean? Well, it means he really didn't believe the first commandment, right? Because he, he's lying about For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And this commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God love his brother also. What's, what's being written there? Jesus is trying to, to, to make it clear in these two commandments that if I don't love other people, 
And if I don't love other believers especially, then there's a problem. And the problem is, I don't love God. And you know why that's such a big problem? Well, because if I don't love God, it means I'm not a believer. My salvation is in question. I'm not saying this doesn't mean that you don't have a bad day or you don't love your wife as you should in any particular day, right? But this is the principle that we should be carrying out on a day-to-day basis. doesn't mean that believers never sin. We'll certainly sin. Remember, before Jesus was this question, is Jesus capable of identifying the greatest commandment? That's what the scribe was asking. And his response demonstrates, yeah, of course he can. (laughs) He knows the answer to that. That's not a problem. So what's the scribe going to say back to him now in response? Verse 32, the scribe said to him, Well, Master, thou hast said the truth, for there is one God, and there is none other but he. What's the scribe say? Wow, you got it, Jesus. That's incredible. You figured it out. Here he is. He is speaking to Jesus himself, the very living word. And, and they are discussing the written word of God. And, and, and so he's considering Jesus' response about the very word of God, his very word, and he's giving him an evaluation, standing in judgment over Jesus' response. Now, he, he does give the right evaluation. A plus, good job, way to go. But isn't that a bit pretentious? You know, that, that would be like me. And, uh, you know, I was a pretty good baseball player. I made it all the way up to Little League. And, uh, you, you know, that's kind of where I stopped. But uh, I was a pretty good Little League player along the way. I, I thought so anyway. And, and, and so... You know, imagine if, you know, Babe Ruth was still around and I I were to to watch Babe Ruth swing a baseball bat and hit a ball. And I saw a swing and I went up to him and said, hey, Babe, buddy, you know, that's a pretty good swing you got there. You keep practicing, you might go places. I mean, that would be utterly ridiculous, right? Here's me, little leaguer, you know, can't even make the middle school team, and, and, and talking to Babe Ruth, one of the greatest baseball players of all time, sitting in judgment over his swing. It's just utterly ridiculous. And so here is the scribe standing before Jesus, the one whose word that they're talking about, and he say, yeah, pretty good, Jesus. A plus on that answer. Good, good response. Right? So that's what he says in verse 32. The scribe said to him, Well, Master, thou hast said the truth. For there is one God, and there is none other but he. And to love him with all thy heart, with all thy understanding, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, to love thy neighbor as himself, is more than, than all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. Good job, Jesus. I'm just going to sit here in authority over you as your evaluator today. Pre- pretty good job, right? Well, what... What is being taught here? And even the scribe says this, right? All of this is more than all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. What's he saying? There is something being taught here that is so much more important than the temple. It's much more important than the ceremony. And that's you, that you know and love God. And even the scribe gets that right. Right? He has the right theology. You, you think back to the account of the Samaritan woman. Remember when Jesus met the Samaritan woman and, and she had a question for him. She said, well, where do we worship God? Do we have to go to Jerusalem or, or can we do it here in Samaria? And uh, Jesus' response was, uh, don't you know there's coming a day when it's, it's not going to be either one? Don't you know that that day is coming? That, that temple worship will be over? What, what's he doing? He, he is pointing to the coming of God and he's saying, guess what? I'm here. 
That, that day is happening now. Worship me. And she gets it, and she does. Right? She, she understands. And he says, it's not about the ceremony. It's not about the ceremonial law anymore. It's about the one once-for-all sacrifice. And that's what Jesus Christ is. Worship me. And boy, that scribe starts to get a little bit of that theology. <laughs> and he starts to understand that in the end there, verse 33. You, you know, do, doing these, these commandments, loving God, loving your neighbor, that, that's more than all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. He's catching a glimmer of the truth. And Jesus recognizes it. And recognizes it for him. Verse 34, Jesus saw that he answered discreetly. He said unto him, Thou art not far from the kingdom of God. That's a pretty good response, isn't it? But you know, you can know theology without knowing Jesus. The scribe knew a lot about theology. But he didn't know Jesus. Jesus is agreeing with the scribe on these two commandments. He's saying, you know, that's not enough. You need to know me. You need to love me. Matthew 22, verse 40 notes where it says, On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. All of it is on the basis of these commandments. You've understood that point. Every command of the Old Testament is just a specific application of these two. And the scribe knew it. But that doesn't mean he's a believer. You know, the scribe is still even then sitting there in judgment over Jesus. And Jesus is saying, yes, you understand the scriptures. But I'm the king and you're not there yet. If you were there, you would fall down right now and worship me. The scribe didn't know God. He didn't love God. He was not a believer. And you can know all the Bible doctrines in the world, and you can have all the right answers in Sunday school, but knowing theology is not enough. It's only about knowing Jesus. You know, there are three groups of religious leaders that we looked at here, and every single one of them sought to discredit Jesus. And every single one of them failed. You can't trick Jesus. You can't catch him in a riddle. You can't outthink him over the word of God. You can't come up with some response and, and think that, boy, I'll say that one day. And I'll slip by. That's not how it works. Verse 34 ends by saying, And no man after that dared to ask him any question. There was nothing else to say. Everything they had thrown at him, he had responded to. And they're all sitting there just saying, wow, who is this guy? And rather than coming to the right answer, this is the Son of God that takes away the sins of the world. This is the one who, if we put our faith and trust in him, we will be forgiven, our sins will be forgiven, and we'll know we'll spend eternity with God. Rather than coming up with that, they're pondering in their heart their hatred for him. They're pondering in their heart how they're going to kill him. We hate him, and, and yet even when we tried these questions, we couldn't overcome him. We've got to go at it another way. Jesus will die. When he dies, he will choose how he dies and when he dies. He's not giving up his authority, even over his own death. So let's put this in context just with a couple points today. First is that Christians love Jesus. We understand that. That's what it means to be a believer. You love the Lord. You love the Lord. 
If you're going to love them, you have to know them. How do we know them? We know them through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that by believing in him, we can know we have eternal life. But second, as Christians who love Jesus, we need to love our neighbors as ourselves. Loving ourselves part, that's easy. We got that. Loving our neighbor part, that's, that's the hard part. That's where we set the example to all the world of what Jesus is like. But thirdly, this is important, you can agree with Jesus without worshiping Jesus. The scribe, he agreed with Jesus' answer 100%, but he didn't worship him. You can love theology without loving God. And if you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ to be your personal Savior, I invite you to do that today. He died on the cross for your sins. He's declared to all the world, this is who I am. I am the Son of God who takes away the sins of the world. He's given you a free gift. And you can know all of that information, but if you never believe, you won't be saved. If you never say, He is God and I am worshiping Him. He is my Savior. I want my sins forgiven. You won't be saved. Did you simply put your trust in Christ to save you today? It really is that simple. Let's look to the Lord in prayer as we close. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. Father, we thank you for the example of Christ. Father, we pray today that you would work in lives and hearts. Father, I pray that if there's anyone listening today who's never put their faith and trust in Christ to save them, who's never believed, Father, I pray today would be that day of salvation. Father, there's any, anyone who's struggling, saying, boy, I, I heard the theology, I know the theology, I can give all the answers. Jesus isn't my Savior. I want to believe today. I want to trust Christ to save me. I want today to be the day where I'm born again. I pray, Lord, that you would work in lives and hearts right now as folks are making that decision. Father, we just give you praise for what a wonderful Savior we have. Father, help us to be more Christ-like. Father, we love ourselves well. Help us to love our neighbor also. Help us to point others toward Jesus Christ. Heads bowed and eyes closed. We'll give you just a chance to respond here. You would say, today um, I have known about Jesus. Today I'm believing. I want him as my Savior. I'm not going to call you out. Would you just simply slip up your hand? I want to pray for you. I encourage you also, if, uh, if you don't slip up your hand, if you just mark that on your blue card. I'd love to be able to pray for you. One more question today. If you'd say, I need to love my neighbor more. These are the two greatest commands. I need to fulfill the Christian life that Jesus has called me to. Pastor, would you pray that I grow in this area? If that's you, would you just slip up your hand? won't call you out. Just pray for you. Amen. 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 Holy Father, I do pray for those right now who have committed to loving their neighbor more. Father, we pray for an abundance of grace. We pray that you would help and encourage 
Father, we pray for other believers, too, to build one another up, to encourage one another as we seek to press on what you've called us to. We give you the praise for what you're going to do, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.